All right, welcome to episode 37 of the Unsupervised Learning, previously the Take One Security Podcast. My name is Daniel Meisler, and we're going to jump into the news. So the FBI paid over $1 million to get into the San Bernardino iPhone. And uh, we're pretty sure, based on the fact that the other two phones that this person owned were forensically destroyed, that there was nothing on the phone in the first place. So they basically, uh, it seems to me like they're using this as a lever to uh, gain access to phones. Um, Hopefully it wasn't very successful. There's a massive continued fallout from the Panama Papers. Uh, More and more people are being discovered as having offshore accounts, which are shielded from taxes. And uh, that includes a lot of uh, U.S. executives and companies. And uh, there's also some political uh, ramifications as well. People are looking for evidence that Clinton has done this or that, for example. So I think we'll continue to see backlash from this this breach for quite some time. 3.2 million servers vulnerable to JBoss attack which is being used in a Samsam ransomware attack. So uh, if you have JBoss servers, you want to upgrade those. MIT launches an internal bug bounty platform. So basically they released a bug bounty, but it's only for people they're like uh, who are at MIT or who uh, used to be at MIT. So it's like internal only, like alumni only type of deal. But uh, nice to see yet even more organizations uh, branching out and trying it. So it's, it's cool, even though it's not completely open. NSA recommends out-of-band taps for logging. This is pretty interesting. They basically had a, um, an article on uh, Security Week where basically the NSA says, oh, we really hate it when we find, we try to attack companies who have out-of-band taps. So basically you have syslog events going somewhere, but you have an out-of-band tap where a copy of that log goes to like an out-of-band logging network and logging uh, host. And if they can't get to that host, they can get to everything else, but they can't get to that and it's on a tap, so it's actually only one way anyway. Uh, It's really, really hard to hack, according to them, which seems pretty obvious to me. But um, I think the thing they're kind of missing, of course they probably understand this, but I think it's easy for people to misunderstand this statement by them and, and think, well, you know, this is the best security solution or this is a great idea or whatever. But if you're not sophisticated enough to have good logging and good patching and good security hygiene in general, you're also not going to be sophisticated enough and have enough resources and enough prioritization to maintain a whole separate out-of-band network and a whole bunch of taps and a whole bunch of other log servers. Like that is every bit as hard as doing security well. in a lot of cases, or maybe even most cases. So I don't think it's some magic solution. New MIT static analysis scanner finds web flaws in roughly a minute. So they're claiming that 
This scanner can find most flaws extremely quickly. It is a source code analyzer, um, I believe. I don't think it's binary, but it's a definitely static static analyzer. It's not like a web scanner. But um, interesting to see. They're talking about like having branch of, branches of it come out into various projects and releasing it to the public in the future. But for now, it's closed and internal. 9-11 commissioner urging release of reports, 28 secret pages. So they released a report a long time ago. There were 28 pages that were secret. And this one uh, person on the board or the commission is saying that it should be they should be released, these 28 pages. Um, I'm guessing that they have a lot to do with Saudi Arabia. That's my personal guess. That Basically, it's very clear that they did it and there was government involvement. That That's my guess, but... Obviously, I don't have any information to validate that. But it seems like, based on the, all the other things going on, that's probably what what's going on with that. Congress tells U.S. spy chief to reveal how many Americans were caught by PRISM. So PRISM was one of the government programs to gather intelligence. And uh, it was supposed to be for foreign people. Um, but it ended up uh, catching a lot of U.S. people as well. And uh, Congress is asking to know who it caught and how many and that sort of thing, which is all in the theme of the Snowden uh, fallout, where uh, people are just becoming more concerned with what the government is doing to U.S. citizens, which is a good thing. China continuing to stop um, interacting with Western businesses in a lot of ways, basically, uh, due to Snowden fallout also. Um, and evidently it's going to affect uh, Apple services and, and iPhones and iCloud and things like that, basically being shut down because they're associated with the U.S. and therefore with the U.S. government. So yet um, an additional way that the uh, Snowden stuff is propagating. SecureWorks just had an IPO. Uh, evidently it didn't go so well, but those things happen in... Uh, they might recover or it could get much worse. Um, a bug hunter uh, was attacking Facebook and uh, found evidence that someone had already been there. And they did a full write-up at the register. Uh, pretty cool article. Personal data of 93 million Mexicans exposed on AWS. Basically, they had a MongoDB database. And uh, some researcher just went and pulled like all the data. It was like gigs or like a couple terabytes of data or something. And uh, it was hard to get a hold of the government. They actually pinged around to everyone, like tried to email people and no one would respond. Or when they did respond, they didn't know what they were talking about or told them it wasn't a problem. So this is another example of where vulnerability management has to include public interface for people disclosing vulnerabilities to the company. All right, InfoSec articles. Um, really cool article uh, on building a home lab for becoming a malware hunter. And it's basically got all these different reverse engineering tools, uh, memory analysis, uh, dynamic testing tools, um, just all kinds of cool stuff in this post. Um, it's in the notes. Forrester Malware Analysis Report. Um, so I did uh, a look. 
uh, took a look at the Forrester Automated Malware Analysis Quarter 2 2016 report and, you know, spent 20 minutes or whatever just writing it up. Um, had a few good points in there. I, I thought it was pretty interesting, uh, the report in general. And I'm, I'm basically making it a, uh, a habit when these reports come out, like the Verizon reports, DBIR, that kind of stuff. When those come out, I, I'm basically skimming them uh, picking up the key points and putting them into a blog post because uh, it's hard for people to uh, have time to read like 15 of these a quarter. Whereas uh, I will make time to do that and uh, sort of summarize them for people and for myself. I mean, it's good for me to see all that stuff as well. So you can expect to see more of those uh, coming out on a regular basis. And I've currently got a backlog with a few as well. Uh, ISIS encryption. So a uh, really cool post uh, by uh, the Gruck. Again, um, just the facts on ISIS encryption. And basically what he does is he lays out all the different uh, attacks that have been attributed to ISIS and then names the attack and then describes what we know about the technology that was used, right? Was it a cell phone? Was it SMS? Was it WhatsApp? Was it Telegram? Was it proprietary encryption or was it you know we don't know and he lists like you know 20 of these things with all the various like technologies that were used and it's very clear to see that a lot of the cases most of the cases i think um they're not using encryption like they might have been burner phones it might have been short conversations it might have been whatever some kind of you know countermeasure to being caught but it wasn't encryption necessarily. Like there was very little use of encryption. And this this sort of goes to the whole point of uh, something he's talked about and I've talked about quite a bit as well. Like when you do security badly or you do um, poorly, I think, when you do security poorly and you do uh, intelligence poorly, you have to compensate in very unnatural and silly ways, right? When you do security badly, you compensate with whatever, buying everything at RSA or uh, compliance, right? Uh, or whatever it is, buying pen tests from some company that doesn't know how to do them or, or whatever, right? And when you do intelligence poorly, what do you do? You say, oh, the reason I'm failing is because uh I can't see into encryption and terrorists are using encryption. That's the reason this stuff got blown up. Um, and unless I can get the tools that I need, we're going to see more bad things happen, right? That, that's the sort of narrative that they use. And the answer is actually that they don't have enough analysts. Their people aren't trained correctly. They don't have enough people to speak Arabic, right? They're just like in InfoSec. They're not doing the fundamentals well. And that's what the problem is. Right. So this encryption thing is just like the perfect analog to like asset management for InfoSec. Right. You, if you're not blocking and tackling, stop talking about special teams. All right. Technology news and articles. Microsoft is killing off the Xbox 360 after 10 years. Uh, some article on 24 cool facts about IoT. This was pretty cool, actually. Um, so this is pretty cool. Uh, according to um, 
Internet of Things global standards, IoT device must have seven design features. Sensors, internet connectivity, processors, energy efficiency, cost effectiveness, quality, and reliability. Oh, quality and reliability and security. Um, also, according to CB Insights, the top two most active investors in IoT are um, Intel Capital and Qualcomm. Very interesting. Um, another article here, Progra Programmable Blockchains in Context. There was a really cool post um, on Medium uh, about blockchains and, and what they're about. Um, definitely worth checking out. All, all these links are in the notes. Um, a site that tells you when to buy and not to buy Apple stuff. So if you ever... If you're an Apple person or, or a partial Apple person, you know there's always drama around, do I get a MacBook now? Do I get a Mac Pro now? Like, when is it time to buy an iMac or, or whatever, or even a phone? Um, and this site, which I have in the notes, is basically uh, you go there. It looks like the Apple store on the website, but it just says buy or don't buy. And it's going based off of a bunch of analysis of like rumors we've heard, time since the last release and stuff like that. So really cool resource that I'm probably going to use in the future. Um, see here. Netflix now has twice the subscribers of Comcast. Um, I tweeted this out. And someone replied. They're like, oh, that's dumb because Netflix is. Um, oh, this is just in the U.S., twice the U.S. subscribers than Comcast. And they're like, oh, well, that, that that's dumb because Netflix is is uh, nationwide and Comcast isn't. It's only in certain markets. That's not why this is interesting. The reason this is interesting is because Netflix has been around for like roughly 45 minutes compared to Comcast, right? Comcast is big. They're massive. They've been massive for, you know, forever and you have netflix who like last thursday was a mailing service for dvds right that's what they used to be they used to ship movies around and they're like hey let's try this internet thing and now they have twice the subscriber base of comcast what this really means is you know disruption can happen it can happen to you and your business which we all know that, but it's nice to have cases in point. Uh, Bitcasa pulls out of consumer cloud storage. This is really annoying. So Bitcasa came out, they're like, all you can eat data storage in the cloud. You pay for unlimited, you get unlimited. If someone says that and you, you just realize you're like, well, there's this many tech people in the world. There's this many people who might want to use it. And there's this much data that they might want to back up. How is this going to be in their interest as a company to do this? And you're like, well, yeah, they just can't make money doing this. There's no way they can. And they're like, no, no, but but we really can. And, and you're like, all right, well, maybe I believe you. And here we are years later. And they're like, oh, yeah, it turns out we can't do that. That doesn't make any sense. The math doesn't work. Well, yeah, the math didn't work in the beginning either. So safety tip for people who are looking at these kind of services. If 
they're promising something that you know they can't deliver, don't sign up and put your data there because not only might they turn it off in the future, but in the meantime, they're probably taking all sorts of shortcuts with protecting and backing up and, and doing all this kind of stuff, right? People are getting fired. They're laying people off. They're hiring people. Maybe they shouldn't. Like if it's fraying at the ends, that's not the type of company you want to have your data backed up to the cloud with, right? You want to have someone, a company that's solid, you know, good reputation, good sound financials who are able to spend money on security. Um, and if you're simply not making enough because your business model is broken, expect security to be one of the first things to go. All right. Um, other news, U.S. suicide rate jumps 24% from 1999 to 2014. I have a very simple theory about this. Um, I think that there is a gap between what people thought they were going to get and what they actually ended up getting, and that this gap is becoming more visible uh, now and has been for the last 15 years. And, that, and that's why this is happening. And I expect it to get worse. Injection of a protein into mice cures Alzheimer's in one week. Um, I read the article and they say that translation of techniques that work in mice have roughly an 8% success rate when transferred to humans. So that's a little disheartening, but, but still pretty cool. And I'm sure if it does translate better, uh, we'll hear more about it. Young people paying for college by being escorts. So a lot of women, uh, some men as well, they're basically finding older, rich people who are financing their college and, you know, fun time and play money by basically being paid girlfriends and boyfriends, uh, kind of like an escort service. And there's a bunch of websites that actually link these people up. Um, seems quite sad, right? Uh, when that, that's what you have to do to finance an education in a first world country. Um, exploring ideas. All right. Ethereum as a public interaction platform. So if you're familiar with the blockchain concept, which I'm not going to go into here, but I did a primer on it. If you want to look it up. Um, well, I'll just say briefly. So the blockchain is basically um, a way, it's a ledger, a public ledger that is transparent that allows the entire world who is participating to validate the, um, the authenticity and integrity of transactions that have occurred. Now, one of the implementations of this, one of the use cases is obviously currency. So Bitcoin is a currency implementation of the blockchain technology, right? So what this Ethereum tool is, really cool name, by the way, um, and the concept is amazing. So it, it abstracts away from just currency and says, um, what if we could abstract this all the way back to... Um, basically any interaction between two or more uh, individuals. And that, that could be two humans, it usually is, 
but it could be like contracts, right? So any contract that you have with someone, and um, I did a post about it uh, this week, so you could check in the RSS or whatever, but it's like um, you're going to give someone a, a kid a, a, an allowance on a regular period, right? And there's an engagement, there's a contract, a negotiation. And all the stipulations, all the contract details, they're all negotiated, as well as the transfer of the funds, right? But you could do it for loans, um, all sorts of stuff. That I listed a bunch of use cases in the post. Um, and Ethereum is basically a platform for... Um, for making this possible. So it's programming language combined with the rules. So you basically go and say, this is the type of contract that I want between these two people. And you can navigate it uh, using this system and it rides on top of the blockchain. So it's validated, it's, it's uh, you know, validated across the entire network um, and has all the advantages of the blockchain technology. So just really fascinating. I expect this to be like a foundational technology going forward for like so many purposes we haven't even thought of yet. All right, new big trend in enterprise security. So everyone is talking about now, uh, you heard about red teams, you got blue teams, and there's uh, people talking about all the time um, purple teams as well, right? So uh, written about that as well. So it, it's basically the team that makes sure the red and blue team are benefiting from each other for the benefit of the organization, right? Well, now everyone's talking about hunt teams. So instead of just doing reactive security, now you're actively hunting for things. Uh, sort of bothers me a little bit because I feel like... Uh, I feel like good security already has offense, Good security already has proactive aspect to it. So basically, the more advanced you are security-wise, you're not just going to be sitting there waiting for something bad to happen, right? You're not going to be a super advanced blue team who doesn't hunt, right? So I think this is kind of a markety type thing where it's just like, oh, do you have a hunt team? Oh, we, we do hunt team consulting or we're a third-party hunt team or whatever. Um, or we're an automated hunt team product. Uh, so expect to hear a lot more about this. I imagine it's going to be like crazy um, next year at RSA. Wouldn't surprise me. All right. InfoSec tools. All right. I'm going to go through these pretty quick. Eyewitness takes screenshots of websites in an automated fashion. Got the GitHub link there. Databricks, complete solution for... Um, data scientists and engineers, pretty sick technology. I read, uh, met a guy who works there at a security meetup down in San Jose. And it's basically like big data, data scientist platform. Uh, Machine, I haven't decided how I'm going to pronounce this yet. It's a security intelligence collector. Uh, really cool. It's basically like tons of security intelligence feeds all brought into one place. Inve. PowerShell man-in-the-middle tool, BetterCap, a Ruby-based man-in-the-middle framework, Responder, which is a uh, Python-based man-in-the-middle framework for network security pen testing is the main use case there. Um, Carbonator, 
automated burp scope spider and scanning from the command line. So basically scope spider and scan using burp from the command line. So you could just like feed it a list of domains uh, and give it some parameters for both um, scope spider and scan. And it'll just launch and, and go get you results, which is pretty sick because one of the uh, sort of downsides for a lot of people with burp is that it's not point and shoot. And uh, this is this gives you that point and shoot uh, functionality, albeit uh, through the command line. Alt DNS, finding permutations of subdomains. And um, it says Gladys. That's a spell check problem. I think it's a Gladius. Gladius. Yep, spell check to Gladys. Damn it. All right, Gladius or Gladius. Automated credentials from Responder. So basically, a Responder, like I said before, is a man-in-the-middle framework. Uh, it's a script, a Python script, that you use during network security testing. Um, and it collects things, right? Well. This uh, Gladius tool basically takes what it collects and submits, submits it to um, hash cracking uh, infrastructure to automatically try to break whatever it finds. So um, those are uh, InfoSec tools. Um, basically, all those have links to um, where they live, whether it's a website. Uh, most of them are on GitHub, but uh, some of them are websites or products or whatever. Uh, so you can see them in the show notes. All right, next one, projects. Pasta, threat modeling. This is a pretty cool threat modeling framework. I find it's uh, a little bit better than some of the other ones like Stride and, and Dread and all those. Um, it's a little bit more of a intuitive breakdown, in my opinion, um, of, of what an actual threat model should look like. And there's um, some OWASP slides on it um, in the notes. Security tools project to list all tools under each category. So I just started a, a GitHub repo called security tools. And I'm break, breaking down, I'm basically collecting all security tools. So I've been doing this uh, tools section in the podcast for, you know, whatever, 15 weeks or whatever. Um, and I've got tons of tools in there. And people ask me, oh, what do you use for discovery? What do you use for this kind of testing? What do you use for scanning or whatever? And I know I've covered, you know, 17 of those tools. But can I remember all 17 at the time? And what are the pluses and uh, negatives? Probably not. So I'm basically going to use GitHub. And I'm going to use the wiki functionality, I believe, in GitHub. And um, basically list all these tools out, um, give the link. And when someone wants to go to, um, I have it broken out by defense and offense. I'm adding uh, Andre Garonda um, and Jason Haddix to the list because they both also love tools and collecting tools. Andre especially, he's just like a, he's a beast. <laughs> he just, he can actually give you all 17 off the top of his head. Like he's just insane. Um, but when we find new tools, we're going to add it uh, to the wiki, update update the project. And basically, anyone could go there and say, okay, I'm doing defense. I want an IDS tool. Um, what are my options out there? And find you know 25 different uh, 
GitHub projects that do it. Um, I'm not sure how I'm going to do rating, like saying, uh, you know, this is our favorite or whatever. But for now, we're just going to list them, and I think it'll be good. Already got a bunch of people starring it and haven't even put the content in yet. So hopefully it'll be a um, good resource. All right, talks and papers. Um, Trooper, Troopers Con. I believe it was Troopers Con. Um, this is coming from SecurityTube. Attacking and protecting big data environments. Got a link there. Sounds pretty interesting. I haven't watched it yet. And uh, rapid radio reversing. Um, also on SecurityTube from TroopersCon. A couple of links there uh, for some talks that I thought looked pretty cool. Um, initiatives. NRC SIP. North American Electric Reliability Corporation Critical Infrastructure Project. Um, they base their, it's actually protection, but um, basically a whole bunch of different protection standards and recommendations for how to protect critical infrastructure. So like you know turbines and SCADA and ICS and all, all that kind of stuff. So pretty cool resource. Uh, nothing in essays this week. Announcements presenting at Black Hat Arsenal in Vegas this year. So I'll be there presenting um, ATM, the um, tool that I created recently. Speaking at Source Boston, um, I'm exploring a new uh, risk rating methodology, uh, which I've called Karma. It's a uh, risk management or it's a it's a risk management framework, basically, and karma is key attribute, key attribute risk management assessment. Um, it, it's a pretty cool idea. I don't want to talk about it right now, but um, I'll be presenting that at Source Boston. And um, I'll, I'll talk about it at some point, maybe on the podcast or in a blog or something, and uh, put the link up here. Other announcement, I'm actually writing a book. I am... Uh, well, a lot of people probably know I'm still working on my TCB dump book for No Starch. Um, that's been forever in progress, trying to get to, to 200 pages, trying to figure out how I can get to 200 pages. So that's still going slow and kind of annoying. But um, this other book, I'm writing a book about basically about the future. Um, I'm going to self-publish on Amazon. And I've got like 13 chapters and I'm going to knock it out in like a matter of hours. It's going to be fascinating. So all this content that I have from the site, all these various posts, it's going to be very focused on future of IoT protocols, interactions between humans and systems, uh, demons and AI, uh, basically very tangible, concrete predictions for how these things are going to look. It's going to be in very small chapters, uh, super easy to consume. Like the whole book, you could sit down and read in like, I'm guessing 30 to 60 minutes. Um, so I'm basically going to knock it out very quickly. I'm, I'm, not, I'm going to have someone edit it like for dumb grammar mistakes and spelling. But other than that, like I'm not going through anyone. I'm just going to self-publish on Amazon. Um, I already have a cover pretty much picked out. And um, I'm really doing it for a project uh, more than anything to capture and organize these ideas and lock them in time uh, because I'm just curious about 
you know, how accurate they will be. Um, I also think it's beneficial for other people to read them and be like, oh, okay, well, here's how I can prepare. And that's going to be one of the big sort of takeaways of the book is it's going to tell you not just, oh, this is what I think is going to happen. So what? Right. It's going to say, because these things are, are very likely to happen, here's how you can get ready. Um, some of the stuff in the future, the really far future, uh, first of all, there's a chapter about distant future, which I'm calling horizons. And those are going to be quick little blurbs because like, I'm not smart enough to predict how that stuff's going to work out and no one else is either, but I am going to list here are the 15 things or whatever that, uh, that are going to happen. We already know other people have written about them and everything. Um, but here are the 15 things, and this is its own chapter, like one bullet on each one. But the rest of the book is actual tangible, like kind of IoT based, but IoT is kind of not the right word because, and that's part of the book, is it's not thinking about it correctly, right? It's basically the interaction of technology and humans. And it's going to be very crisp, very short chapters. Um, and most importantly, at the end, it's going to say, here's, here's what I recommend you do and you do for your kids and your family to get ready for this type of thing that, um, in my opinion, is pretty inevitable. So I'll be working on that soon. And uh, I'm sure when I publish it, I'll probably mention it here. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. More than anything, like getting it done, write a book, have a project to do it, actually complete it. Uh, self-publish on Amazon. I also love the idea of the disruption of the of the publishing industry because uh, especially not really for like no starch or anything. They're, they're super cool. But but for regular New York Times bestseller type books, it's so hard to navigate, like even getting into uh, a big publisher, getting accepted, you know, all the various fees that you have to pay. I love the idea that you could just have ideas, organize them, get them out, and uh, publish them. It's like, when it's that easy, why not take advantage? All right, art and inspiration. If you're not reading, you're dying. Um, I haven't read, like, any books in, like, the last month, um, and it feels very stagnant. Um, if you're not reading, I recommend you get back on your book list and just start knocking it out. Um, and if you're reading tons of nonfiction, like add, add some fiction to it. Um, if you haven't read Name of the Wind, uh, this is a book that I really love. Uh, my buddy Jason recommended it to me. And uh, it's just phenomenal. It's great fiction. I recommend that if you're overloading on nonfiction. And if you're... Um, if you're just doing fiction, uh, throw in some nonfiction there. Um, I recommend the book Influence, uh, which is a great book on persuasion and stuff like that. And then there's um, another book called Spent, which I very much recommend. And that is it for this episode. Um, thanks so much for listening. I'll see you next time. And uh, if you like the show, uh, do me a favor and recommend it to uh, friends or whoever. Blog about it, talk about it, share, whatever. And I'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye.